0: Calling all true crime fans, murderinos, crime
1: junkies, and wine coven members. Have you listened to Murder in the Rain yet? Murder in the Rain is a true crime podcast based in the Pacific Northwest, focused on the local cases that make us the notorious home of bizarre crimes and serial killers. I'm your host, Alicia Holland. And I'm your host, Emily Rowney. <laughs> I'm Josh. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. I was... In each episode, we will cover a case to bring you all the details of the crime. We often feature interviews with people close to the cases, including authors, victims, doctors, and detectives. Most content is dark and not suitable for young or sensitive listeners, but we do try to lighten the mood by providing a blooper reel at the end of every single episode. Trust me, you'll love it. Check us out today, and if you like us, don't forget to subscribe, follow us on social media, and leave us a review. Our website, murderintherain.com, has additional content, podcast feeds, discount codes to some of our sponsors, and an interactive map with locations for each episode. to Forensic Miles. My name is Miles.
0: Hey guys, it's Sean.
1: Forensic Miles is the unofficial companion podcast to the cult favorite show, Forensic Files. You've seen the show, you know the crime, but is there more to the story? Let's find out. This one is a good one and I'm really excited about it. It's a very interesting case and there was definitely a lot that was not covered in the Forensic Files episode. Um, so I'm excited to jump right in. I did just want to make a quick mention about the death of Naya Rivera as that kind of, you know, struck me. I wasn't a huge Glee fan, but I did watch the show and I know Santana and I know her. So it was a little bit shocking to see her, um, you know, her sad death, especially because she's the third one from the Glee uh, Glee cast to die. Um at first, I definitely felt like there was foul play. Sean, what did you think?
0: Um, I mean, I kind of just thought it was a freak accident.
1: That's kind of what I'm thinking now. The reason that I thought it was foul play was because I, I know this is like super specific, but I didn't think Josie could get back onto the boat himself. Just thinking about me, I've only been on a boat a couple of times, but I know for me, you know a five foot four twenty five year old it was a little bit hard for me to get back onto the boat after jumping off um, and so I was like, I don't know how a four year old could do it by themselves. Um, but now we know, or at least what the investigators are saying they think happened um, is that you know, the water must have gotten a little bit choppy. The boat was unanchored, and so it might have just drifted away. Um, and then it, they were farther from the boat than she realized. Um, and they think that she used the rest of her energy to swim Josie back to the boat and get him back on the boat. Um, so that kind of covers what I thought was kind of weird. Um, and I'm thinking now it just seems like a really unfortunate accident.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely sad.
1: Yeah, it's very sad, um, and it's a real sacrifice by a dedicated mother um, who was really just trying to protect her son. So yeah, you know,
0: pretty incredible actually. Yeah.
1: Well, on that note, let's hop right into this episode. So today we're covering the Forensic Files episode "Dirty Little Secret." And I think for those of you who know what this episode is, you're going to be kind of excited. I did a little guess, guess what episode we're covering on my Instagram and a couple of you got it. So um, I think you guys do know this case. The story of Martha, otherwise known as Jeannie Crutchley, and Joshua Ford was a romantic second chance tale of true love. In 1999, they met by pure chance. Jeannie was on a business trip and met Josh at a Christmas party in Boston. Jeannie was 49 in 1999 and had been married and divorced once. She worked in Virginia as an insurance executive accountant. Josh was a mortgage broker. He had also been married and divorced once, and he was in his 30s when they met. The age difference wasn't an issue for them. The two immediately hit it off, and Josh soon relocated to be closer to Jeannie. The couple was described as two people with the same personality. They were very, very much in love, um, and it was clear to everybody that they felt this way.
0: Yeah, I mean, once uh, once you find somebody like that, um, it, the age difference doesn't really make a difference at that point. It's just two of the same.
1: Yep. And I think that Jeannie really found what she wanted in Josh. He was adventurous, he was kind, and they were really on the same path. They wanted the same thing. They dated for about two years before moving in together. And I've heard a couple different um versions. In the Forensic Files episode, they say that they are married. Um, but everywhere else, they say that they're quote-unquote partners. So... I don't know, it's not really important. They could be married and just have not changed their last names. Um, But I'm not really sure. But in the end, it's not really important. (laughs) In May of 2002, Jeannie and Josh headed to Ocean City, Maryland for a little getaway over Memorial Day weekend. I guess one of Josh's clients or bosses lent him their condo, which sounds really nice. And they were really excited to go and just kind of have a little romantic getaway.
0: On the th- beach. On the beach. Memorial Day, that sounds fun.
1: Yeah. Um, the condo was at Atlantis Condominiums, and you know, they set out for this relaxing three-day weekend. However, when the weekend was over, neither Jeannie nor Josh had shown up to work. Their coworkers were immediately worried. You know, Jeannie and Josh were not this kind of people. They were hardworking people. They showed up, they did their work, and they weren't known just to skip. Um, so it it was really surprising and shocking to their friends and coworkers when they didn't show up. On May 30th, their coworkers and friends called Maryland police and reported the couple missing. When police arrived at the condo, they found Genie's car parked in the parking lot. It was clear that the car had been there a while. Um, it, you know this condominium was kind of close to the beach, and so they could tell the car had been there because a lot of sand had started to build up on the car and on the windshield. And they could, you know, they they could see that it had not been driven in quite a while. When they entered the condo, nothing was out of place. There was no sign of forced entry, no sign of burglary. Jeannie's keys or car keys were there, her clothes were there, computer, camera, everything was still in the apartment, but there was no sign of the couple. Investigators asked neighbors if they had seen or heard anything strange, but unfortunately no one would pro- no one could provide them with any additional clues. They said in the forensic files, you know when you get a condo, it's a very private sort of vacation yeah. um so it you know you're not in a hotel where you're going to run into people in the lobby all the time um, so you know it's not really unlikely for nobody to have seen anything
0: yeah, and I think the cops mentioned too that. Based on the state of the condo, it looked like they had simply just gone out for a walk and, you know, were planning on coming right back. Right.
1: They decided to run a background check and um, on the couple, and they found that they had last used their credit card on Saturday, May 26th, at a local sports bar called The Green Turtle. Investigators were able to track down a witness that placed both Jeannie and Josh at the bar a man named Brian Namorado, and he was also with his wife that night. Brian said that the couple had been watching a Boston Celtics game when Jeannie and Josh came and sat right next to him. Josh was wearing a Celtics shirt, and the, the two couples immediately started having a conversation. Brian said that they talked for a couple of hours, and then Jeannie and Josh invited Brian and his wife to go to secrets with them. Secrets is an extremely popular local bar where everyone kind of tends to end up when they are out in Ocean City. For Cincinnati, I'm thinking Mr. Pitifuls, but it's it's not quite like that. I don't think. Wow. <laughs> Brian said that on any other occasion he would have loved to join them, but on this particular night, he and his wife had plans, and they ended up de- declining. A decision that you know still kind of haunts him to this day. The two couples parted ways, and Jeannie and Josh headed to the bus stop to catch a bus to Secrets. This bus ride would lead them not only to the bar, but ultimately lead to their brutal deaths. On the bus, the couple met another couple, Benjamin, otherwise known as BJ, and Erica Sifrit. BJ didn't have exact change for the bus, which was required, so Josh, being the kind man that he was, offered to pay for the ticket in exchange for drinks later in the night. The two couples soon began chatting and ended up waiting in line together for secrets for almost an hour. After drinking together for a few hours, the Sifrits invited Jeannie and Josh to their penthouse condo at the Rainbow Condominium Complex for late night drinks and a dip in their hot tub. I guess they had a hot tub in their room, which honestly sounds like a rowdy night. It sounds like a rowdy night. It sounds really cool. But, you know, in the end, we'll get to it. But (laughs) not great. So let's talk a little bit about BJ and Erica. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of background because it is very interesting. Erica was born into a wealthy middle-class family. She was super smart and and an incredible basketball player in college. Supposedly, her stats ranked her in the top five in the country her freshman and sophomore year. And she was considered a star.
0: Three-point shooter. (laughs)
1: She described herself as a material girl, and she felt that she was exotic and mysterious because she raised snakes and crocodiles. So we're seeing some kind of two, like two different sides of her, I think. Some of these snakes had some peculiar and honestly worrying names. Hitler, HIV, Bonnie, and Clyde were some of the names of her snakes.
0: Interesting.
1: Yep. She also claimed that she did coke and ecstasy 5 days a week. Which Ugh. is a lot. What? <laughs> and we're we're I think when she's saying that she's referring to life after college because she's no longer in college, she graduated college. You know, that's kind of in her past now.
0: I mean, that definitely doesn't make it any better.
1: <laughs> no. No, but I mean what I'm trying to say is I think, you know, when she was in college, she was one person. But then she started to kind of become a different person after she graduated and she mm-hmm. met BJ, who we're we're about to get into. So BJ was a completely different can of worms. He was a U.S. Navy SEAL stationed in Virginia Beach. He was known to be a great shot and super controlled and motivated. For example, it's said that he could go out all night, be drinking heavily and consistently, sleep for an hour, and then beat all the other Navy SEALs in a 20-mile run. So I
0: don't know. This guy's got some determination. They, they, they said in the episode um, for him, it was just mental, not physical.
1: Yeah. Which, you know, moving on. He was also described as a racist, and both Erica and BJ looked up to Hitler because of his quote unquote power. And I think that's already kind of shown by the fact that Erica named one of her snakes Hitler. The two also met in 1999 at a party. The couple was soon married, and they opened a scrapbooking store in Altoona, Altoona, Pennsylvania, called Memory Lane. Um, They were married pretty young. I think they were both in their 20s. According to the Daily Times, in October of 2000, BJ was convicted of two charges of going AWOL, one charge of drunken or reckless driving, and one charge of wearing unauthorized insignia. And I'm not 100% sure, but I do know that BJ had a large swastika tattoo on his chest, so I'm not sure if this charge was his tattoo or if he was just wearing something. About a month before their trip to Ocean City, BJ was issued his final discharge papers from the U.S. Navy. Their issues with the Navy weren't their only problems, though. The relationship was unconventional and bizarre, not to mention abusive. Erica said that the only compliment she ever got from BJ was that she was a cool girlfriend for going to strip clubs with him. (sighs) And the only gift he ever got her was a handgun. And this handgun, I believe, will come into play later. Once BJ said he wanted to have a baby. Erica ended up getting pregnant, and after about four months, he said he didn't want the child, and he wanted Erica to get an abortion, or he was going to, quote, dig it out of her. Um, And he later told her after the abortion that the only reason he wanted her to get pregnant was to see how far she would go for him. Wow. Yeah, so there was definitely abuse, and I I mean, we're just hearing Erica's side, so I'm not sure, Um, but... These stories are really traumatic.
0: Yeah, they definitely paint a picture of this guy's character.
1: Yeah. Although Erica's family described her as a nice girl, the couple seemed to constantly be looking for thrills. And they started off with things like burglary. But it soon seemed that they needed more. And what they mentioned in the Forensic Files episode is that this was kind of a issue in the bedroom. That they were having issues in the bedroom and they couldn't figure out. They, want, they were trying to figure out something to spice up their lives. And it was clear that um, BJ liked thrills. And so they started to burglarize local businesses. Um, and then they moved on to something else. Unfortunately, Jeannie and Josh were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And would fall victim to the Sifrit's disgusting games. BJ, Erica, Jeannie, and Josh made a quick stop at the Atlantis condos to pick up the um, Jeannie and Josh's bathing suits before heading to the Rambo condo penthouse. We'll never know exactly what happened that night, but I'm going to tell you a couple versions. The first one is what Erica said happened, and we have to keep in mind that Erica... Lied multiple times throughout this investigation about what truly happened, and she really tried to minimize her engagement in this crime. So, um, I'm going to first tell what she said happened, and then I'm going to say what the investigators think happened. Supposedly, everything was going fine for a while. Both couples were drinking, having fun. When Erica realized her purse, which had a gun and expensive jewelry, was missing. According to the Daily Times, there is a 911 call from Erica's shift, supposedly from Erica's shift, around, it's like early in the morning of May 26th. I've seen two things. One said that it was at uh, 1 a.m. and the other said it was at 3 a.m. So I'm not sure, but I have to assume it's somewhere in between those two times. In the 911 call, the female, which is presumably Erica, says, "Uh, there are people in the house who I don't know. My purse is suddenly missing. I'm afraid I'm going to have a robbery here. I'm upstairs in a bedroom. They don't know where I am. So it goes on for a little bit longer. um, And she actually asks for a callback number, but never calls back. So um, it's interesting. Later in her interview, she told police that Josh came up to the master bedroom while she was on the phone and started hitting her. This is obviously not captured on the 911 call. She said that she called for her husband, who quickly ran up to the room, Jeannie following right behind him. BJ then pulled a gun on Jeannie and Josh, who quickly ran into the master bathroom. Erica later said that BJ had then shot both Jeannie and Josh to death. Investigators believe that something a little bit different happened that night, though. They believe that Erica and BJ lured Jeannie and Josh to their penthouse. They believe that when Erica, quote-unquote, lost her purse... It was all an elaborate game where the rules were only known by Erica and BJ. If the couple found the purse, they could live. But if they didn't, they would die. (sighs) And I think the truth is, is that...
0: There was no purse. There was no
1: purse. Yeah. When Erica announced that her purse was missing, Jeannie and Josh started to help her look. But when it became clear that they weren't going to find it, BJ confronted them with a gun and accused them of stealing the purse. Erica and BJ then forced Jeannie and Josh to undress and prove that they hadn't stolen anything. Once they were undressed, Erica later said that BJ turned to her and said, quote, What are we supposed to do now? I'm just going to waste them? Cool. According to the do- court documents, Erica's response to this was, quote, Just do it. You got them naked. You put a gun to their heads. Just do it. Unquote. Oh, my gosh. Jeannie and Josh followed their orders, but then tried to save themselves, and they ran to the bathroom and locked the door behind themselves. They tried to get away. Josh's palm print was later found on the bathroom window, showing that he had, you know, tried to open the window and, and climbed out. Yeah, but, but Weren't
0: they on the top floor, though? They were so in the penthouse. Jump out of the penthouse?
1: I, I don't know what he was planning. All he could think of was he needed to get out. But BJ began shooting through the bathroom door. And then according to Erica, he shot Josh in the head, killing him instantly. So they shot through the door and then they opened the bathroom door. And that's where he shot Josh in the head. So there were four shots fired. The first two were through the door. One of them hitting Josh in a place that didn't kill him. The third shot was to Josh's head. Um, And then the fourth shot I'll get to in a second. At this point, Jeannie is still alive, presumably trying to hide underneath the bathroom sink, which is one of those sinks that it's like a sink. There isn't any cabinets under it or anything. So, you know, she could have tried to hide under there. Erica shoots the fourth shot and misses. Whether it's intentional or not is unknown. From what we do know of Erica, it does seem that she would you know, try and scare Jeannie by just shooting at her um, and just seeing her fear. Um, This bullet ends up going straight through the wall into the adjacent bedroom. Jeannie ultimately dies at Erica's hand. Um, Erica stabs her to death in the abdomen, which is important to keep in mind for later. Erica said that after the couple was murdered, she went to get paper towels to start cleaning up the blood. When she returned to the bathroom, like, big trigger warning here. BJ was in the bathtub with Jeannie and Josh's head floating around him. What? Yeah.
0: He was just, he cut their heads off and was chilling?
1: In the bathtub with them. Wow. Yeah. In the Forensic Files episode, they kind of make it seem like he, you know, was in there and he pulls out the um, bullet from Josh's head and throws it at Erica. And we do know later that this uh, bullet from Josh was pulled out of his body. Wow. So it's very gruesome, and it's very...
0: I mean, this guy was in the Navy. He had to have had, like, psyche valves and stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's not going to get any better anytime soon, though. Erica said that BJ actually asked her to take pictures of him holding the victim's heads. She declined. She thought that was too much.
0: Uh, this is Erica's uh, confession to the police?
1: I think this comes out a little bit later. I don't think it was during the trial, and I don't think it was during her interview. Uh-oh. She also claimed that BJ suggested they cook and eat one of the victim's legs, but she felt that that was going too far as well.
0: That's too much. I, 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 would, I would
1: agree. Yeah. Erica and BJ spent the next 24 hours cleaning up the condo, dismembering the bodies, and spreading them around in dumpsters throughout Delaware, which is, um, I think they said 10 miles away from Ocean City.
0: So nobody called the police when they heard four gunshots?
1: I don't think anybody heard them.
0: I don't know. It was like the wee hours of the night or the morning, whichever you want to call it. Like somebody had to have heard these gunshots. And also, if they didn't hear the gunshots, they were cutting up bodies. Like, wouldn't that smell?
1: Honestly, I don't know. I they got rid of everything within twenty four hours of the murder, or quote unquote, they got rid of everything.
0: I guess if they just like
1: So there weren't any bleach. Yeah, and there weren't any decomposing bodies in the house.
0: No, yeah, I guess so.
1: Also, I've never been to a penthouse before, but I have to believe, first of all, they're super expensive. Secondly, I'm sure they have some kind of sound proofing if you're spending that much money, right? I mean,
0: it's a gunshot.
1: Okay, that's true. That's pretty loud. (laughs) That's true. Either way, nobody reported it. Hint, this is not how they get caught. We'll get into that later too. So, like I said, they take the pieces and they spread them around in different dumpsters in Delaware. They also head over to um, Home Depot and they buy a new door and they fix the door in the penthouse.
0: And then. So, so, so they're renting this penthouse condo. Yep. And in they go with just a door. Yep. And nobody says. Wait a minute, you guys are the guests. You're not maintenance. Why are you replacing the door?
1: Nobody questions it. I have no idea. I, I honestly don't understand. Um, but once they're done with the cleanup and fixing the door, they continue their vacation and start acting as if nothing happened. Erica went to get a new tattoo, a snake on her abdomen. She said she got it as a trophy to remember what she had done the snake was in the exact place that she had stabbed Jeannie to death. Wow. This tattoo sparked the second compliment she ever received from BJ. He said he liked it because it reminded him of what they did. Wow. Yeah. But you may ask, Miles, you're getting ahead of yourself. How were BJ and Erica caught? Well, let's get into that, why don't we? A little after midnight on May 31st, which is... um, Four days after the murder, a silent alarm is triggered at a local Hooters. Hooters? Yep, Hooters.
0: What were they they stealing at Hooters?
1: Well, I'm going to tell you. Police made their way over to the Hooters, assuming that it was a college prank of some sort. When they arrived, they found a Jeep parked out front and two people, a man and a woman, carrying stacks and stacks of Hooters merchandise, such as shirts, hats, hoodies, cigarettes etc. And they were just filling the Jeep up with with all of this stuff.
0: They just really like Hooter.
1: Well, they do. Who were the man and woman, you might ask? You got it. BJ and Erica. So at this point, investigators know that Jeannie and Josh are missing, but they don't know what happened to them, and they have not connected that BJ and Erica are involved. When they arrest BJ, he's so intoxicated that he asked the cop if he could just put all this stuff back and they could leave <laughs> and nothing happened. And they could just uh, go home. Yeah.
0: Let, let's just put it all back and ignore the broken no harm, no foul windows and glass.
1: Yep. Anyway, they found that both BJ and Erica were armed to the T. Police found a revolver. I think it's the same one that BJ gave Erica um, in her waistband. They found a handgun and a knife in BJ's waistband, and they found another gun in the car. As she was being arrested, Erica had an anxiety attack. This is something that she had in common. She had a lot of different mental health issues, Um, so this is not rare for her. And she asked one of the officers to go into her purse and grab her medication so that, you know, she could treat the anxiety attack. And that's when they got their first connection to the disappearance of Josh and Jeannie. In Erica's purse, they found both Jeannie and Josh's driver's license, which Erica kind of tried to brush off and say that they had just found them, which I guess is possible, but it's not what happened. They were able to get a search warrant for the penthouse, and when they arrived, one of the first things they saw was two bullets on the coffee table. They were used bullets, and they had blood and tissue on them. Casual. Yep. Yep. In the sink, they found, in the bathroom sink, they found blood, hair, and tissue that all belonged to Jeannie and Josh. They were also able to test the rest of the bathroom and discovered that there was blood still in the tiles and underneath the shower, or like on the side of the shower.
0: And a bullet hole.
1: And a bullet hole in the wall. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> because they fixed the door. They didn't fix the bullet hole.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good point.
1: Yeah. They also found a stack of photographs. The first image on the stack was a picture of Jeannie and Josh at Secrets. This is the last known picture to have ever been taken of Jeannie and Josh. The picture showed Josh wearing a ring with a dragon on it, on one of his fingers. Later in the stack of photos, dated after Josh and Jeannie were reported missing, there was a photo of Erica wearing that same ring on a chain around her neck creepy yes what's got the
0: tattoo and the ring
1: and just wait (laughs) what's more they were able to identify the that the bullets from the coffee table had blood on them from both genie and josh one of them only had josh's blood on them and investigators presumed this was the one that was dug out of his body Parts of the body were eventually recovered um and this is actually kind of amazing. Supposedly Delaware has a super intricate and organized way of disposing of their trash. So they knew exactly where the body parts would be once Erica led them to, you know, the trash can that they brought it to. Erica later stated that they had planned to make necklaces out of the bullets.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean Yeah, I'm surprised she wasn't already wearing them on the one necklace she had Mm -hmm. with the ring.
1: Yeah. She said that they also had returned to Secrets to buy souvenir shirts to better remember where they had met the couple that they killed. Two weeks later, a tip came forward to the police from a woman who had an eerily similar experience with the Sifrits, but ended up living to tell the tale. Melissa Selling said her and a male friend met the Sifrits only three days after the murder. She said that they were invited to the penthouse, and when they were there, Erica announced that her purse was missing, and that it had something very important in it, and they had to find it. When BJ pulled the purse from under a cushion that Melissa had already checked, she knew it was all an insane game played by the couple. Luckily, Melissa made it out with her life, and the reason that she thinks she survived is because she didn't make a fuss. She didn't question. She just kind of went with the flow. Wow. Um, which personally I don't think I would pull a gun on her. They did they did pull a gun on her. So she was very lucky. Things could have gone a completely different way. Um, and it's surprising that they were about to do it again only three days after the first murder. And I think that shows that if they hadn't been caught, who knows what could have happened. They could have just been doing this day after day after day.
0: So she said that he just pulled out the purse and then what? She like left?
1: No. She she didn't I didn't really read much more into the story. Um she said that he pulled out the purse and all she could do was just try and remain calm and try and get herself out of the situation. Hmm. In the beginning, Erica tried to pin the murders on BJ, saying that she helped clean up the mess, but she was in no way involved. Ultimately, investigators realized that Erica may have been the one to order the killings, and at the very least was just as guilty as BJ. In the end, Erica was convicted of first-degree murder of Josh and second-degree murder of Jeannie. She was sentenced to life in prison plus 25 years. BJ, on the other hand, got it quite a bit easier. Because they found so much of the evidence in Erica's possession, the ring, the gun, etc., she had all the evidence with her when they were arrested. Um, they couldn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that BJ was involved in, in Josh's murder. He ended up being acquitted of Josh's murder and was convicted of second-degree murder of Jeannie only, only and was sentenced to 38 years in prison. Because Erica had all of those... Items, they dubbed her, quote, Little Miss Scrapbook, which I think is interesting because they owned a scrapbook store. Oh, yeah. So it was clear that she liked saving those little things. Wow. The only motive that makes sense in this crime is that it was a thrill killing. The lead prosecutor described it as, quote, simply a means of entertainment, unquote. Erica mentioned that she knew that BJ wanted to kill someone because only weeks earlier he had asked if he could kill her parents grandparents and aunt so that they could inherit all the money and move you know out of the country
0: her parents or his parents her parents uh.
1: her parents her grandparents and her aunt
0: he asked like hey erica by the way is cool if i just kill everybody in your family
1: yep <laughs> she said no the judge in bj's case did not agree with the jury and called bj a quote butcher BJ filed for divorce in 2010, um, and I believe it was granted. He will be eligible for parole next year in 2021, Wow, which is really concerning. And Erica will be eligible for parole in 2024, which is not that far off. Personally, I I am terrified for them to be out.
0: How can she be eligible for parole? I don't
1: know. She
0: killed... Two people.
1: Yep, brutally. And, and he did too. And he was in a bathtub with their heads. Yeah, that. <sighs> I think this case shows two spectrums of a relationship. I mean, Jeannie and Josh were crazy about each other, absolutely in love, with their second chance. They'd finally found the one. And Erica and BJ's relationship was described as, quote, one being a match and the other being a dynamite. They should have never been together.
0: Yeah. That's, uh...
1: They brought out the worst in each other, where Jeannie and Josh brought out the best.
0: Yeah. It's literally a deadly duo.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> that is all I have for you. I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, I did um when i was researching it oh i forgot to say um she was obsessed with hooters erica was obsessed with hooters if you look at any of the pictures from even before the robbery before the murder she's always wearing hooters Mm. hooters sweatshirts hooters whatever so prosecutors actually think that they went there specifically to rob that hooters Mm. so i think that's a little bit interesting tidbit yeah (laughs) anyway um comment on our instagram let us know what you guys think um, also check out our shop we've got a whole bunch of really cool um shirts and totes and hoodies and masks um and we would love for you to check it out yeah you can use coupon code luminol for 10 percent off your order
0: better go do it right now
1: <laughs> all right have a good day we will talk to you next time see you guys later bye
0: Hello, my name is Joe Schwartz, and I would like to take a moment to tell you about my
1: podcast. It's called Still Unknown, and it's a podcast dealing exclusively with unsolved murders, disappearances, unexplained deaths, and other unsolved mysteries. If you are a fan of the classic TV show Unsolved Mysteries, then you'll definitely want to check out my podcast, as many episodes deal with cases featured on the show that still need answers. So look for Still Unknown on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this podcast here. And let's solve some mysteries together.